everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Bored as Hell podcast. I know it's been a while, but guess what? We are back and we are better than ever. Yes! Yes! Uh, And if you you listen to our... uh, (laughs) Yes, queen! Um, If you listen to our unofficial sister podcast, the Funny Books and Firewater podcast, you know... Hi, Brian. Hi, Todd. Hi, Maya. (laughs) I, I feel I feel like since every episode they say everybody says hi Andy I need to say yeah hi we gotta to give a shout out because so, we've been, so we've been saying friend. hi to Andy for the last couple of months uh, just it, you know yeah. life's weird sometimes and it doesn't always go the way you want but uh, we finally got a chance to, like I finally got a chance to go see some movies and talk about them uh, we got Annihilation and then Andy has Game Night and Red Sparrow to talk about uh, we won't exactly right. say which order we're going in yet but we do go worst to first we'll let you figure it out which one we love right. the most and hated the most mm-hmm. uh, and then we're going to wrap up with our oscars nominations and who we think will win and who we think should win uh now before we get there though uh andy i didn't get to see red sparrow or game night i had to work uh let's right. start with those like which one didn't you like which one did you like did you like either of them because i honestly haven't talked to you about any of those movies yet and we'll save annihilation for last because that's the one that I got to see. So I'm very excited. It is. It is. It's, and it's also the best of the three. Let's start with Red Sparrow. Oh, my gosh. Uh, since this is a podcast, I can do this. Matt Bled. Ah, Suki scene. <laughs> I've, so my friends who went and saw it. Okay, so they were they were hopeful this would be like the uh, unofficial Black Widow movie, which we need. We need a Black Widow movie right. because as we've proven with Wonder Woman yeah. and with the amazing female actors in Black Panther, which was honestly, by the way, that I'm at 9.5 oh, on Black yeah. Panther, just even though we're not doing that. Right. We've proven you can have these badass woman characters who own the movie. And so we were hoping that we'd eventually get this Black, Pan- Black Widow movie we want. And this was supposed to be like, well, maybe this is it. From what I'm hearing, though, it's not. It's pretty just horrible and rapey and gross. Rapey is the right word here because Jennifer Lawrence's character starts off as this prima ballerina in the Bolshoi Ballet whose uncle works for the state security services. Her leg gets broken in an accident on stage, and he recruits her then to join this team of sparrows who are intelligence agents who use sexuality. And they even talk about her training process as sending her to whore school. That is what they call whore it. Whore school? And whore school, as in prostitute. <laughs> that is what that is what they send her to. And this is essentially state indentured sex slavery. And she is repeatedly raped, beaten, tortured all throughout the movie. At no point does she have any agency whatsoever. And if she fails in her mission, she is dead. They will put a bullet in her head and she is always under uh, that threat. This is the glorification of violence against women. And the difference between Red Sparrow and Black Widow, you watch Black Widow, at every moment she is in control. She is using vulnerability, she is using her sexuality to sometimes extract things from people. Well, like yeah, that she great scene at the beginning of the interrogated, and she's like, really? Right. You're interrupting me in the middle of my interrogation? Thanks. Yeah, and she's like, this guy's giving me everything that I want. And he's looking around like, what? He's like, he doesn't get it. And the scene with her and Loki... She's manipulating him. The trickster guy, exactly. She is the master of the situation. Right. And this is the opposite of that. And so this is terrible. 
everything that was awful and misogynistic about Mother is also terrible okay. and so misogynistic. We're, we're going about to use this. our one. We can do this one time because we are a PG thirteen podcast. Mm-hmm. Fuck Mother. Yeah. No. Seriously. Fuck Mother and fuck Red Sparrow. <laughs> Ooh, we got three. You know, we might have to put a, a, a parental advisory on this one. It's it's just that awful. Zero stars. Zero. Stars. Wow. Yeah. Really? Wow. I I didn't know. It was I mean even wow. Yeah. Go, you hated the, the movie. You hated that more than I hated. Well, actually, no. I hated Mother the same. I was. Uh, yeah. Fuck it. it we're just gonna go. Free. Let's just go parental advisory. Fuck that movie. Fuck Mother. And not in a good way. Just yeah. you know. No, go see Fifty Shades Freed first before this movie. That's oh Jesus! I, I also gave Fifty Shades Free, I, I think zero, but it's better than this. So just just don't. Game night. See, that's the one I have to go oh. see because I have to uh, for the Razzies next year. I mean, this year I I, I saw I saw the first two, and uh, I, I, honestly, I did. I was going to go see it, but I kind of pulled the thing. You know, our friend Jimmy Martin, because uh, he and his wife Cat go review that movie every single year. That's the one time. She, a year she's pretty much on his TV show right and she's like with the whole Me Too thing and everything going on like she's like I can't go see it and that's actually why I skipped out on it but I guess I have to eventually see it because I can't vote for it as worst movie of the year if I don't go see it well it's and it's it's somehow worse than the first two and this is somehow worse than that and again the tone deafness of of Fifty Shades and Red Sparrow coming out at this time this is a movie that, if they would have actually thought about it, this should have sat on a shelf for a little while. Because or forever. Maybe, so. Or forever. Maybe just put it out on Netflix or something and pretend like, you know, pull a Cloverfield Paradox. Nobody's complaining about P- Cloverfield Paradox, despite there being problems with it, because it just came out on Netflix and everyone's like, oh, it's a Netflix movie. So what? We got yeah. this cool thing. And so what? Like, yeah, this was... This is terrible. Don't go see it. It's it's just awful. But Game Night. Game Night. Yes, Game Night. Game Night surprised the heck out of me. Uh, this is from the makers of Horrible Bosses and uh, the recent Vacation Remix. And um, if you took Horrible Bosses, like that sort of R-rated comedy, and mixed it with David Fincher's The Game, that's what Game Night is. Oh well, damn it! Now I need to see that because I love the game. Yeah, it's and it's it's basically kind of the same premise. Uh, there's this suburban group of friends. They get together. They play games every week, and uh, Jason Bateman and his wife they're super competitive. And his older brother comes into town and is like, "Guess what? I'm going to take over game night, and the game that we're going to do is kidnapping and murder. And someone is going to come in and they're going to kidnap me." And you all have to figure out who it is and solve the kidnapping. And so that happens, but it's actually real kidnappers coming in to get him. And uh, there's, a, there's a whole thing that uh, there's a lot of twists and turns and they don't know who's, uh, you know, they don't get that it's fake for a long time through the movie. Then they eventually figure it out, yada, yada, yada. Wackiness ensues. It's it's pretty fun, and that that premise may seem like it's kind of thin. It is, but it continually works because they go back to character, and uh, the main cast and the characters that they're playing are very fun, and they do a good job with this. and uh, And there are some, some twists and turns, and and really the the star of this movie is our good friend Jesse Plemons, who. Gosh, I don't know. He he might be the best working actor today. 
Like I just, everything he does is so good. And he plays this creepy cop next door. And uh, he's, he's involved in, in a certain way in all of this. And it's, it's just very funny. And he is so perfect at being creepy and deadpan the whole time. So uh, yeah, I liked, I liked game night a lot. Uh, Seven out of 10. Go check it out. Cool. Well, that, that's really great to hear that it's that kind of a fun movie. I know it kind of came out of nowhere. And when you mentioned that right. it's by the same people who did Horrible Bosses, my interest got peaked because that movie had no right to be as great as it was. And it was a ton of fun. And it's always kind of cool when you have something like this that no one expects. That's from what I've heard, it's, it, it wears its already on its sleeve. It's raunchy. Right. It's fun. Uh, and you mentioned Jesse Plemons, who quote unquote has been known as fat Damon, whatever you want to say. He is honestly such a phenomenal actor. Uh, one of the best things I ever saw at Sundance was called other people, which oh, he yeah. started. And like, I, I was raving about it forever. And did you finally see that by the way? I did. Uh, that, that movie made me laugh and cry so hard. Oh it's yeah. Just, it's like, I, I showed Eddie and after it was done, he was just a sobbing mess. It's like, why did you make me watch that? I'm like, because it's so good. And it's, it's written and directed by Chris Kelly, who is a writer for SNL. In fact, if you've seen the uh, Adele Thanksgiving skit they did with her song, Hello. Hello. Yeah, he wrote that. And so everyone knows him. Yeah. They, they don't realize they know him, but they know him from that. And it's a story of his life. It's about the fact that his mom died of cancer and he was a writer in New York. And he was gay and came back home to Sacramento, California, which is a hellhole. And right. it's this beautiful gorgeous, heart-wrenching, funny, just wonderful tale of humanity. And if you haven't seen it, it, it's, I know it's out on Amazon Prime, I believe, might be on Netflix. It's worth the three bucks to rent it. It's, it's a, it's a great movie. Um, But yeah, he's, he's so good. And Jesse Plemons is the main character. And for me, as a part of the LGBT community, uh, and I've lost a lot of weight. I'm not as big as I used to be, but I'm still a bigger guy and I always will be no matter what happens. It was really mm-hmm. refreshing to see a character who was gay and kind of like me because most of the times in, in LGBT movies, they're super hot or they're super skinny or this and that. And this was just an average guy. And, you know, right. as much as we talk about, you know, representation and why it's important and uh, obviously with, with Black Panther from just last week, it had a huge impact on my friends uh, who are people of color and everything else who were just freaking out because they right. finally got to see themselves on screen. And we can sit here as, you know, yeah, I'm a white guy and, you know, obviously male and right. say, oh, well, yeah. it doesn't matter because blah, 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 because we've seen ourselves on film the whole time. Han Solo, Luke Skywalker, Indiana Jones, all the Harrison Ford characters. Right. <laughs> but... <laughs> I don't get to see gay people on screen. If they are, they're most of the time it's, it's indie film. It's uh, there's small things like call me by your name, which we're going to talk about later with Oscar stuff. Uh, That's why I'm so excited for the upcoming movie. Love Simon is because this is like pretty much the first time we've had a major studio production that has a gay protagonist. And that's important. And so if you sit there and you, you don't understand why representation is important and why we need to have it, then you already are being represented. You already, you're part of it. So don't talk to us about, oh, I don't get why this needs to happen because it is very important. 
and then I, I can't wait. I can't wait for the day that I get to sit back and see a Marvel movie, and we get to see, you know, like Iceman's gay or something happens where like this is a main character right resonates with me. So anyway, I'll get off my soapbox now because no. <laughs> we no. No, I, I completely agree. And and the, the the last thing I'll say about other people is I was thinking about how it makes kind of an odd uh, like double feature, but you could do a like the awfulness of living in the suburbs in Sacramento double feature with other people and Lady Bird and uh, just be like, <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm glad I don't live in Sacramento. Oh, Lady Bird, you existed just to get Oscars. So I'm going to. Um, right. <laughs> well, yes, but, we'll talk about that uh, in a second. Actually, what does deserve an Oscar, and I will explain why as we get into it, uh, is Annihilation. Oh my gosh. So this is a, yep. I guess we call it maybe sci-fi horror. Uh, it's written and directed by Alex Garland, who gave us Ex Machina a couple years ago. And Ex Machina and Annihilation right. share a very common trait, not about the movie itself, but after I go to a screening, I walk out and the reps are like, hey, what did you think? These are the only two movies that I walked out and I had to say, give me a minute because I don't know what to say. It took me time because, like, you walk right. out and it was like Fantastic Four, you're like, oh, fuck this movie. Or if it's Logan, you're like, oh, this is amazing or whatever else. This one I walked out and they're like, what did you right. think? And all I could say was, it's strangely beautiful. And it's, it's a gorgeous right. film, but uh, it's based on a book called Annihilation, which is the first in a trilogy written by Jeff Vandermeer. And this is about uh, Natalie Portman, who plays Lena. She is a biologist and used to be in the military. And her husband is, and he's been missing for a year. He went on a mission, never came back. He's assumed dead. Her husband's played by Oscar Isaac. Well, one day he just shows up again at her house. And she's like, well, hey, how you been? What's going on? And something's off with him. He's acting weird. And suddenly he goes into convulsions. They race him to the hospital. Halfway there, black ops black police cars surround them, take him out, quarantine him, and capture her and take her with them as well. Uh, she wakes up at this military research base and is told what happened was that this meteor, comet, something flew from space, hit a lighthouse, and now this ring that they call the Shimmer has been slowly expanding and taking over more and more space, and the government's trying to cover it up, but it's growing at a rate to where in a couple years it'll probably cover the whole Earth. They've sent teams and teams of people in, no one comes back. The one person who did was her husband, Oscar Isaac, who's playing this guy, Kane. And something's really wrong with him. So they're putting together a final team of people, all woman scientists, not, you know, the big bad military rough them up predator dudes, but women who actually are scientists, a biologist, uh, a psychiatrist, everything else, to go in and see what's going on. And so Natalie Portman volunteers because she wants to know what happened to her husband. The team go in and... It's they go into the shimmer and it's Earth, but it's not Earth, and weird things happen. And the goal is to get to this lighthouse to see what hit Earth, what's going on, and can we save humanity? And that's all I'm really gonna say because this is something that you have to experience. I just I went and saw this and I was incredibly tired. I was a long day at work, and it just it enraptured me and. Going back to my original thing about the Oscar, there's a scene in this movie with a creature, which I'm not going to go into detail with, but this creature makes a scream, and 
It is the most terrifying thing yeah. I have ever heard in my life. And I'm including like Silent Hill, Resident Evil, horror right. video games, horror movies. It's this cross between a human, a wolf, a bear. It's just this most disturbing, horrible thing I've ever heard in my life. I almost peed my pants. I was that scared. And I don't, you know, I jump at scary movies like It and all kinds of fun stuff. But this just shook me to my core. And if that movie does not get nominated for sound mixing and win next year at the Academy Awards just for that one scene, that one sound... Right. I'm out. It's we already know the Academy Awards are rigged and they're political, but this movie deserves to win just for that <laughs> one moment. And every person I talked to, critic and non alike, it was like the scene in uh, Last Jedi when Holdo puts the starship through the the dreadnought when she goes into hyperspace. Right. The whole audience was just shook. And right. Couldn't even react for ten seconds afterwards. It's it's that much of a game changer as far as how they did that. But anyways, that's me gushing. Andy, tell us what you thought. <laughs> I, I I mean, you've said most of it right there, but I just, I love the beauty of this movie, how it approaches each of these characters. You mentioned these, these five women and uh, Jennifer Jason oh, Lee so is the sort of, she's the leader of the team and she's the psychiatrist and, or, or psychologist, excuse me. But, uh, she she approaches everything from that lens and Natalie Portman being a cellular biologist approaches everything from that lens and uh, and there's a there's a mathematician and and the way each of these four women approach everything differently it it builds this it, it's like the the five blind men uh feeling an elephant and That's you the best get ever heard anyone say because everyone's experiencing this whole world and what's going on in a different way and you have to listen to all of them and what's going on to put the whole story together right and and it's it's only in that and you still aren't getting a complete picture and that's what's so beautiful is i'm right with you adam like i came out of this and i'm like i don't know what this meant i don't know exactly what what this all means but I know that I had an amazing time and I know what I felt and I know that this is amazing, uh, which is like the opposite of to go back to mother. That movie was confusing and hard to follow. This, this movie was confusing and hard to follow. Oh, hundred percent. But you ended up with a, with several through threads at the end and you're like, okay, I at least get a part of this but I want to go back to it and re-experience it because I know that there are things that I missed. And and that's what, what I came out of this with. And it's, it's taken me so many days to process this. And I still can't quite describe uh, how, how I feel about this movie. I just know that it's amazing. <laughs> and, uh, and, and that's where I'm at. So uh, yeah, uh, the comparisons to Ex Machina are, apt um except that i mean i came out of ex machina feeling fairly confident i understood that movie this i'm like hmm i'm i'm not sure i'm not sure what i'm supposed to think i'm not sure if this is uh if there's a greater theme if if this has any sort of comment on 
uh, life or or anything like that. Uh, but I do know that the visuals were amazing. I know that it's creepy and um, it's just brutal. A, just, there's there's no yeah. scenes that are like, oh my god, like I was not expecting because yeah. like I went in completely blind. I knew nothing about this. I hadn't read the books. Actually, the uh, it's, it's the first part of a trilogy called the Southern Reach trilogy by Jeff Vandermeer. Which I want to check out now because I need to see the whole story. Same. Um, I hadn't seen a trailer. I'd, I'd seen a poster. So it was kind of refreshing to go into a movie that blind. And I uh, I went and saw it with our, our friend Cassidy, who is the editor-in-chief of uh, Big Chai Robot. And he hit me up like months ago. He's like, when you get the screening for this, let me come with you. I'm like, well, yeah, of course, no problem. And mm-hmm. he'd read the books, and he's a huge fan. He liked it a lot. Uh, but... Yeah, I just I didn't know what to expect. I I just knew it was like I thought it was like a war movie. I honestly didn't know it was sci-fi, and in fact, until the day of, I didn't know it was directed by Alex Garland, who I love from Ex Machina. <laughs> but I walked yeah. out, and yeah, like, all I can say was it was strangely beautiful. But even now, I'm still unpacking. I'm still going back and thinking about little scenes, and I, I need to go see it again because I know I missed a bunch just because one, I was tired, and two, there was just right. so much there, and it, oh, it's like it's Alex Garland. He's so good. He takes he makes heady sci-fi, and that's kind of something we don't get much of anymore. I mean, we have fun with like Star Trek Discovery, which is an amazing show. It's, right. it's my Star Trek. It's, I loved it. Uh, even the Star Trek movies, even like Last Jedi, which is such an amazing film that gave me everything I could have wanted in the Star Wars film, even more. This just it's it's kind of like leaps and bounds over it because it's. It's almost like reading uh, Hickman's comics. Like, he's so smart. Right. And he's laying this these trail of breadcrumbs that if you can follow through, you know, 50 comics lines over 10 years and blah, 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 you'll be richly rewarded. And that's what this movie does. Like, it wants to reward you, but you have to work for it. And I know that with repeat viewings, I'm going to get more of it every single time, just the same as I did with Ex Machina. And right. So yeah, so this is a movie that they they made a while ago, and what's really cool is this is the director's cut of the movie. Like because Paramount, uh, I think it was Paramount, put it out. They had no faith in it. They didn't know what to do with it. That's why they released it on Netflix everywhere else but the U.S. Because test audiences didn't like it. Well, because they're stupid. Um, <laughs> right. There's it's this is not a film everyone's going to like, and people might accuse us of being snobby critics because this is a critic movie. Maybe it is, but that's just because we see everything, and this is something brand new we've never seen before, and it is absolutely gorgeous and terrifying, and the same with Ex Machina is a portent of what's going to probably happen when we have actual intelligent AI. This kind of shows what could happen if life from another planet came here, and that's not really a spoiler because you see that the opening shot. Right. Who knows? Who knows what's going to happen, or if, as they said in the movie at the end, it was creating something new, and that's what right. it does. And 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 the the whole question of you know is this life in some way malevolent? Is it is it trying to attack you or is it just life? It, there, there, you know, it's a very strange question, and and that was what I walked away from was like we think of when we make contact with human life, it's going to be a a spaceship landing somewhere and someone walking down a, uh, a ramp and saying, take me to your leader. 
and and um, maybe that's not going to be the case maybe it's going to be something like this like we we just assume that's what a first contact with aliens is going to be it might be this so yeah, who knows? And, uh, yeah exactly i mean and for all we know there could be alien life already among us i mean it's i don't know it's i love this because what alex garland did with ex machina with ai and right now it's funny because they said the big important thing about AI is because it can't program. Well, Google's AI is actually writing new AI software that is smarter than the ones right. they wrote. So it's, it's already happening. Like, you know, we, it's, we're going to get there. And right. I can't remember who it was. Some scientists said that there are two terrifying possibilities, that there is alien life out there or that there's not. And with a universe as big as this and with all the probabilities and everything else, there might be some out there. Who who knows? But oh, it's like I, we we could honestly spend the next hour. You could take a class on this movie. You could take a class, write a dissertation, not just about the film, but about its themes and everything else. This is it's not a perfect movie. Uh, I will say that if you're looking to go see something that answers all the questions and wraps everything up in a neat little bow, you don't get that. This is messy. Nope. This is uh, discombobulated. And it doesn't always flow as well as it could have, but it's it's an experience. And there are very few movies that can say, "Yeah, you got out of it and experienced something." So for me, I'm at a nine point five. I would love to give it a ten. A couple little small things are dragging it down, which isn't a bad thing. It just it's it's not a perfect movie, but it's it's damn near right. there. And this is one that I I will be thinking about for months to come and. Honestly, I've had dreams about it. Like, not about the movie, just about the themes and what's going on and everything else. And Ooh. it sticks with you. It's It doesn't go away. Wow. Yeah, and I'm, I'm at more or less the same place. Uh, not perfect, but so I'm at a 9 out of 10. The, the only problem is I feel like I need to go see this and Black Panther back to back and try and decide which of the two is a better film. Um I liked Black Panther a little bit more, I think because it meant a little bit more to me. Um, but, uh, but this is, but this is like any other year we'd be sitting in February and saying, wow, this is the best movie of the year, like hands down. <laughs> so, uh, I mean, it's amazing that, uh, we're sitting here, you know, so early on and we've got, we've hit such a high water mark already. So I absolutely recommend this and, and think everyone should, go check this out definitely so speaking of movies to uh, check out uh the oscars are this week and we yes. just want to kind of go through uh briefly and talk about uh, we'll talk about the big categories so best picture right. director actor female actor uh and of course we have to do writing and cinematography because cinematography we both agree on for the movie that should have been nominated for everything else well i think that at least that was my favorite movie Right. Uh, so right. Well, let's start with cinematography. So the nominations for best cinematography are Blade Runner 2049, Darkest Hour, Dunkirk, Shape of Water, and Mudbound. So we're both going to briefly talk about um, who we think will win and also who we think should win. So I think, Andy, we're both unanimous on both these parts with uh, Blade Runner 2049. For Roger Deakins, absolutely. Not Roger only Deakins, should yes. he win, I think he will win. Uh, because he's not, this is how the Oscars always are. He's he's not only going to win for this; he's going to win for every other movie he should have been nominated and won. For. Yes, 
Um, I, I want to say, though, like there are all of these, except for, in my opinion, Darkest Hour, really deserve their nominations. And um, it's and and both uh, Dan Lawson for The Shape of Water and Rachel Morrison for Mudbound, uh, the first woman ever nominated for yes. uh, Best Cinematography. Like, that's huge. And that's that's a beautiful movie. And she brought a great lens to that. But I think I think it's Deacon's year and. And yeah, that was my favorite movie of last year. And it's the only thing it's nominated for. So yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Actually, I think he actually did also get best visual effects too. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. Well, not too. No, definitely. This is, this film is gorgeous. It's the most beautifully shot thing of the year. And it surpassed Dunkirk, which up to that point was my favorite movie of the year. Uh, this is a film that, much like the original Blade Runner, it didn't really resonate too much at first, and then it's it's going to grow. This is going to become the the big sci-fi cult classic of the 2010s. I mean, it's it's gorgeous. It's just so wonderful, and it ties into the original in beautiful ways and tells this amazing story. And if you have a 4K TV, by all means, please make sure you pick up a 4K Blu-ray player and get this movie in 4K because it is stunning. I mean... With ultra high def, it shows off the flaws and the glares that movies have. This one doesn't have any. I've, I've watched it. I've shown this is like my new demo <laughs> to show people. <laughs> but yeah, the cinematography there's there's so much around it. it. When you're flying over Los Angeles, it feels heavy and oppressive. When you go to Nevada to the remains of Las Vegas, it feels desolate and isolated and just uh, it's a gorgeous film. So. It should have been recognized that, for more than it is, but again, Deacons, he's going to win this and get his due for all of his previous work that he should have been noticed for. That fight scene in the broken down casino. That's, yes. That's all I have to say. That, yeah. So, so yeah, we're agreeing yeah, there. Anyways, so uh, we next have uh, writing for adapted screenplay. We've got Call Me By Your Name, The Disaster Artist, Logan, Molly's Game, and Mudbound. Uh, so my both will win and should win goes for Call Me By Your Name, which is the screenplays by James Ivory. Uh, this movie was a late entry. I saw it uh, during screener season because I didn't really screen it for us, but they sent me a DVD, which I have and I'm in love with. It's a gorgeous film. It's beautiful. It's a love story that's very, very much not your typical gay romance despite being between a 17-year-old and a 24-year-old. And my one complaint with the movie is that Army Hammer is not 24 and cannot pull off 24. But <laughs> the the film is just drenched in beauty and it's filmed in Italy and everything is gorgeous. And the script is whip-smart. It's fun. It's tender. It's heartbreaking. And it portrays these characters as real people. They're not caricatures. They're not something that you would just hope would hope for they're, they're real people and they let them be that way and it's it's a truly wonderful film again it's, it's up for best picture it's not going to win uh but it's definitely in my top five for the year yeah i'm gonna agree with you that i think that it will win uh should win i don't know because i have not seen call me by your name which is like the, the glaring movie that i've not seen of all of the oscar nominations i think i've seen everything else besides that and so this is a category where I can't say 
because it sounds like Call Me By Your Name probably should win. Uh, my favorites of those other four, though, would be Logan, just because I I loved Logan. But uh, I honestly... Yeah, Logan was... It was it was so great. It was it was a X-Men movie that wasn't about X-Men. Right, it just exactly. happened to have this character in it. And yeah. yeah. But but that being said, um, you know, I so so I'm not gonna say like, yeah, uh, who who should win on that, because I, I think I have an incomplete information. But a best original screenplay, I have seen all of these. Uh the big Me too. Yeah, the big sick, uh by Emily Gordon and Kamel Nanciani. Get Out by Jordan Peele, Lady Bird by Greta Gerwig, The Shape of Water by Guillermo del Toro and Vanessa Taylor, Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri by Martin McDonough. Boy, um, I am really, I don't know what will win this. Um, I, I think Three Billboards will probably win, and that is the one of those five that I least want to win. Um, I'm really conflicted. Oh, really? Yeah, I I did not really like Three Billboards. I think it's, with the exception of Francis McDormand, I think it is largely overhyped. Um, I think Martin McDonough, specifically on the screenplay, it, it's, it's like a movie written about race relations in the United States written by a foreigner, because it is. <laughs> I just, you know, I, I love him and I love In Bruges and I love Seven Psychopaths and I love some of his other work, but I just don't think he, I think he gives this kind of easy pat answer. Oh, well, if we only just move past our hate, then we'd be, no, screw you. You, you really don't understand what's going on here. Um, and, and see, I saw it completely different than that because I saw... Uh, three billboards as one of the most darkly comedic movies of the year. It was up there with like Fargo for me, as far as <clears throat> how bleak and much of a black comedy it was. And I, I felt the opposite way as far as like, yes, they addressed racial tensions in the U S but the people who are bad people kind of get the chance to be redeemed, but they're still an asshole. And yeah. He and I kind of say, I kind of say F that I, I'm like, eh, I don't, I, I wasn't down for that. I mean, maybe that makes me a terrible person, but I wasn't. Oh no, no, like no, I, I'm glad that they. <laughs> I don't know. We're talking about we're, we're talking about Sam Rockwell's character, who we're going to bring up again. Uh, right. He is a complete racist bigot, and he's a sexist. And he's a horrible person, and he kind of gets that. Okay, maybe we can come around to him, but even at the end, I, I'm not going to give it away because it's the final scene of the movie. He's still an asshole. Like you, yeah. you don't like him, and. Yeah. I kind of like the fact that they didn't give him that. It was like, it was like, okay, spoiler alert. It was like Kylo Ren and last Jedi had his chance for redemption and threw it away. And right. that's kind of what his character did here. So a little bit, I think if I were, if I had to put a vote in, I'd vote for the big sick just because I, I really liked that movie and it was very different and completely unexpected and out of nowhere. Um, but my heart is still really with Get Out in the Shape of Water as such amazing films. So I don't know. Um, I I really liked all of those movies, and and I yeah. If Three Billboards wins, I'm not gonna like complain about it the same way I would have like 
fox catcher <laughs> Oscars, you know, but, uh, you know, uh, it, because it, it is a good movie in certain ways. It just didn't resonate with me. Yeah. And, and see, uh, once again, my, my will win and should win uh, is the same. It goes for Get Out. Uh, so Jordan Peele, we know from Key and Peele, he's mm-hmm. known for doing comedy. And yes, there are very funny moments in Get Out, but it is one of the most resonating movies of the year. It was one that didn't screen for us. I went and saw it with civilians. And it made me laugh. It made me uncomfortable. It moved me in ways that no movie this year did. I mean, even Annihilation didn't really quite go there. Uh, it's brilliantly written, wonderfully directed. It's it's just a great, amazing, fantastic movie. And it all pens from the script that Jordan Peele wrote. And he, he brings points up. He talks about uh, unobvious racism, about the patriarchy, about uh, white, white um, privilege and does it in a way that is still entertaining and he's this is basically a sermon from him he's preaching and right y'all should be listening because he's making a really big point uh and i, I think it's funny that i think it's at like a 99 percent on rotten tomatoes because the one negative review was from the national review oh my god like they didn't <laughs> like it because they felt it was racist against white people uh right. i'm sorry first racism doesn't exist it, at least in America, you can't have that. It does. It does not exist. Right. Stop tooting that horn. You're full of crap. Um, but no, Get Out will win, and it should win. So, it's funny because I think that like the script, while incredibly good, is like not what got me about that movie. I'd I'd push for Peel for directing because I thought that the visual sense and the pacing of the movie was was what really made it, rather than it being like. Like one of the other scripts that's up there is Molly's Game, Aaron Sorkin, and like that's a script, you know that that's all about wordiness and and whatever, and and I think the same for the Big Sick, where I'm looking for the like there's that 9/11 joke in there. Oh, and, which is the best um, joke you've ever heard in your life. And I see it was cool. Yeah. I, saw, I saw Big Sick at Sundance last year. And they actually had the whole cast and the director and everyone come out and do like a, a Q and A. Uh, it was it was a ton of fun. It was a, I went in knowing nothing about it aside from there's this couple. She gets sick. I didn't know it was based on a true story. And it's a it's a f- amazing film. It's fun. It's got Bo Burnham in it, who's my one of my favorite set of actors. Uh, mm-hmm. Which I'm not detracting from Big Sick at all because that was a very huge surprise, you know, from Sundance last year. But I still got to go to get out. It's it's the movie from last right. year that stuck with me the most. So I'd be I'd be incredibly happy for Jordan Peele to win an Oscar for uh, for writing for for Get Out as well. So yes, should. it's just <laughs> it's so hard because there are really good scripts in there, except for three billboards, in my opinion. <laughs> so anyway, anyway, on to the next so, one. <laughs> so directing. So we've got uh, Christopher Nolan for Dunkirk, Jordan Peele for Get Out. Greta Gerwig for Lady Bird, Paul Thomas Anderson for The Phantom Thread, and Del Toro, Gimel Del Toro for Shape of Water. So this one I'm a split. Uh, I, uh, Del Toro will win for Shape of Water because Shape of Water will not win Best Picture. Uh, but they are going to, like we said before with uh, uh, cinematography, Roger Deakins, this is going to be his award to win for all of his previous work, like Pants Labyrinth and everything else he's done that he should have been recognized for 
which isn't to say The Shape of Water is a bad movie. I love that movie. It's in my top 10 of last year. But my winner, who I think should win, is Chris Nolan for Dunkirk. Uh, Chris Nolan has done a lot of stuff. He's And what's great is when Batman and when he's done other movies, you've been able to see his progression as a director. And he took every trick he learned through his whole career and put that into Dunkirk. And that movie is a masterpiece. At only 90 minutes, it manages to tell a better story than most three-hour movies do. And he should be the one winning. But again, this is going to go back to Del Toro for kind of like his lifetime achievement award for everything else he's done. Right. And and see, and I agree with you, Del Toro will win. I also think Del Toro should win because as as I've gone back and rewatched The Shape of Water, every time I notice more details. And that thing is so meticulously put together. And it's it's just amazing. I mean, I think Dunkirk was also meticulously put together. But as I said, when we reviewed Dunkirk like six, seven months ago now, I, I'm i tired of Nolan like showing off how clever he is. And, and I felt like there was an element of that. And I just wanted, I just wanted it to be played a little bit more straight. Now, that being said, that being said, as I had to watch The Darkest Hour, I'm like, oh, you know what? I gave Dunkirk a lot of crap. <laughs> it's been giving the darkest hour a lot of crap because yeah no <laughs> so um uh hats off to dunkirk uh to a certain extent but but yeah my my heart is with the shape of water i just i think that is a masterpiece and i think it it wasn't my favorite of last year i think it was like my third or fourth or maybe fifth um but uh i yeah, I, I think it will win. I think it should win. Ironically, in my in my top five, I had Get Out as uh, as number two, mm-hmm. and like that's my personal favorite. But I think what 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 will win and what should win, like what we conceive of as a best picture, um, yeah, Guillermo del Toro, Shape of Water, yeah. Uh, anyways, let's go up to uh, female actor in a supporting role. So this is the one that I have to kind of step back from because I've only seen one of these movies. But we got Mary J. Blige from Mudbound, Allison Janney as in I, Tanya, Leslie Manville for Phantom Thread, uh, Laurie Metcalf for Lady Bird, and Octavia Spencer for Shape of Water. Excuse me, I've seen two of the movies. Uh, so my pick as far as who will win is Allison Janney for I, Tanya. I haven't seen it though, so I, I really can't weigh in too much. Laurie Metcalf was one of the best parts of Lady Bird because I was not a big fan of that movie. I think and she Spencer was, was that absolutely movie. In Shape of Water. Mm-hmm. So I, I can't weigh in as far as who I think should win because I have yet to see fans that are mudbound, but uh, I, I do believe Allison Janney is going to take it for I, Tanya. Yeah, I think I think she will too. And, and yeah, Laurie Metcalf, I think the more I think about Lady Bird, the more I think that that movie wouldn't have existed without her. Because that movie was about that tension between the two of them. So, I mean, she was great, but uh, and but Octavia Spencer. I mean, uh, the the only thing about Octavia Spencer is she she does in this movie what she does in every movie. And oh, we need we need someone who is both sassy and who can bring a sense of gravitas. She and, kind of does the, the, not to be. I mean. 
unfortunately, she's been kind of typecast in, I would say, almost like the racist role of Mammy. You know, mm-hmm. uh, for those who don't know, Mammy is a it was a stereotypical, normally heavyset black woman who was the sassy mom character that was in like Tom and Jerry and uh, Looney right. Tunes, all these old school like cartoons and movies that is a very racist stereotype and. Right. As much as like Octavia Spencer is an amazing actress, and like one of the movies that completely like got glossed over this year was Gifted, and she was fantastic in that. Oh, like, yeah, she was great. She but same was the same character. She's she's always the same person. So yeah, uh, uh, although she was she was in my favorite scene in the movie, and she had my favorite line of the movie. Hmm. Hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> You never trust a man. (laughs) (laughs) She's explaining how the fish man's penis works. Mm. That's (laughs) why. That was my Octavia Spencer. But yeah, I think Allison Janney will take it. So Um, so let's go to uh, Best Actor in Supporting Role. We've got Will Dafoe for the Florida Project, Woody Harrelson from Three Billboards, Richard Jenkins, Shape of Water, Christopher Plummer for All the Money in the World. And Sam Rockwell, also from Three Billboards. So, Andy, what's your pick? This is so hard because Defoe was amazing in the Florida Project, but yes, Jenkins, and we gave him uh, Best Supporting Actor for uh, the UFCA Awards. So, yeah, and and uh, but Richard Jenkins, I he was so amazing in The Shape of Water, and he had his own character arc. He had his own character growth. And I just, Oh, that is a really hard choice. Um, I just, I just don't want it to go to three billboards. And that's, that's <laughs> terrible. Like I, it's funny because like, I think performance by actor in a supporting role from Woody Harrelson should have gone to him for a war for the planet of the apes. I think that was a better performance than three billboards, but mm-hmm. um, you know, three billboards is the type of movie that gets Oscar nominations and planet of the apes is not. We'll get back to that in the best actor category, yes, but, which I'm going um, to go off about. So yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I hope that those two split, I think Jenkins will win and I, I'm, I'm hemming and hawing here. I think Jenkins or Defoe, either of them should win. They're they're just amazing. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to go uh, the will win. We'll go to Sam Rockwell. Mm. Um, like, like we mentioned before, his character is so reprehensible and horrible. And what I love is Sam Rockwell, like all these actors, and we're going to talk about it again when I get to actually the best actor category disappears into this role where like you're watching the screen and you're not seeing Sam Rockwell, you're seeing the character. And that is true. There's a lot of actors out there, uh Eddie Redmayne <clears throat> who <laughs> goes on stage and he's acting and you can tell he's acting, but he just he is so much this character. Uh so I think he will win. He I'm split as far as who should win because as much as I hated his character and he's a horrible person, Sam Rockwell does an amazing job, but Woody Harrelson also plays this as the sheriff who's pretty much the target of these three billboards that the movie comes from. He's not a bad person. He's compassionate. He's trying. 
and he's kind of caught in the crosshairs, right? In this horrible situation, and you gotta root for him because even though he's kind of the bad guy, he's not really the bad guy. He he's a family man. He loves his family. He does some horrible things, but he just again he delivers a performance where I'm not seeing Woody Harrelson like on screen. I'm seeing this character, and that is if true. you want to know a time when you saw Woody Harrelson being Woody Harrelson. You can go look at Zombieland. You can look at his. Uh, he had. A, he was in Will and Grace for a couple, a season or two. Mm-hmm. That's him being him. And in this instance, he's just being this character. And I would love for him to win, but again, it goes back to Sam Rockwell. He's he he, he is this character. He is as much as Francis McDormand is the heart of this movie. He's almost, in a sense, the spirit. So. They're they're the yin and the yang of this exactly. movie, and and I think I think that's why it works, and I mean, but I think again this goes back to the script, and this isn't Sam Rockwell. One of the things I hated about his character was that they pointed out that he is simple minded by showing that he likes to read comic books. Boo! Oh yeah, I forgot boo to that, that stereotype. I'm like. That's such that's such stupid shorthand because I actually don't know adults that read comic books that are like intellectually challenged. Usually the comics or the adults that I know that read comics are actually usually very smart. Yeah. And they're looking for intellectually challenging material. So that's uh, I I don't know. I kind of hated that. And I didn't like his redemption arc. um, But but yeah. Anyway, best actor. <laughs> so we can really get into this. Yes. So best actor, we've got uh, Timothy Chalamet for Call Me By Your Name. Daniel Day-Lewis from Phantom Thread. Uh, I'm going to murder this name. Daniel Kaluuya from Get Out. Gary Oldman mm-hmm. for Darkest Hour. And Denzel Washington for, uh, as Roman J. Israel Esquire. So who should have – let's go with who should have won. I think who, who should win is Daniel Kaluuya. I, I just uh-huh. that that was an amazing performance and he's amazing and and I think I think he should win it. Um uh, again, I haven't seen Timothy Chalmay in Call Me by Your Name, so giant asterisk there. I've heard he's amazing. Yeah. So that's that's an easy call for me to make. <sighs> who will win is probably Gary Oldman and it's who I do not want to win. Because I don't, I I did not like his performance. I did not like that movie. So but for me, you, you go ahead before we talk more about that. Yeah, who should have, who should win, wasn't nominated. Um, who should win uh, is Andy Serkis. Uh, absolutely, absolutely. The Planet of the Apes, and people will argue, and you can, you can come at me all day, bro. I don't care. Come at me, bro. Uh, we can say nonstop that. His performance was mocap, and it was digitally enhanced with making him be Caesar from War of the Planet of the Apes. My argument is still, Gary Oldman does not look at all like Winston Churchill without the prosthetics and makeup. It's a different form of prosthetics and makeup. And Andy Serkis acted that role. He is the heart and soul of that movie. He is amazing, and we rightly gave him... Best actor at the UFCA Awards because that's his performance. That's who he is, and he's amazing in that. Now, as far as who will win, 
it's going to go to Gary Oldman because it's, again, a Lifetime Achievement Award for things he should have won in the past and didn't. Uh, if I'm going with the actors who I think should win who are nominated, I'm going with Timothy Chalamet. The ending of Call Me By Your Name, it's actually while the credits roll and it's just the camera one take on him looking into a fireplace and crying. That scene alone will melt your heart and destroy you. But it's for that two minutes of just focused on him with everything else in the background, his family, his parents, setting the table, all blurry, except for him, he gives one of the the best performance of the year in that two minutes. What do you think about the movie? You can disagree and you can agree about a 17-year-old having sex with a 24-year-old. That's neither here nor there. And technically legal in Utah. Let's not argue about that. <laughs> that scene alone... And Andy, actually, I'm going to try to find it just to send you... If I can find it on YouTube, I'll send you the, the link just to that the credits. Like, I was watching it with Eddie, and we're both there crying our eyes out, and we're like, he's going to get nominated for Best Actor. And I don't, he may not win, but he's going to get nominated at least, because he's got it. And this kid's going places, and I cannot wait uh, to see what he does next, so... Let me blow everyone's minds for a minute. I, I told you this. It blew your mind. They've been trying to make this movie for over a decade. Oh, I know. Yeah. And they, and they almost did. I know. <laughs> Tell us who was in this role, Adam. Oh, I don't want to say his name. <laughs> Do it. <laughs> Do it. Oh, Shia LaBeouf. Shia LaBeouf. <laughs> and... <laughs> It's, this could have been Shia LaBeouf in that role. It's, I just, it's not that I think... Okay, so Shia LaBeouf's a crazy person. He's not a horrible actor. He's done good things. Um, sure. But in the same way that Army Hammer in his 30s cannot pull off a 24-year-old, which is my biggest gripe of the movie, Not because Army Hammer does a, a great job. Like People who's like, oh, he can't act. No, he can. He can act very well. No, I don't like, I don't like Army Hammer. Timothy Chalamet is 21-22, he can pull off a 17-year-old. And I'm not saying that to be creepy. I'm just saying he's has the look and he's still small enough to where you can be like, oh yeah, he's a high school student. Shia LaBeouf cannot pull that off anymore. I'm sorry. Like that was that was over in his even Steven days. So let's <laughs> Right. Oh, I just, I, the fact they wanted to No. Just no. No. Right. But no. no, Tim, no. Honestly. If you do nothing else, go sneak into the very end of the movie, watch the credit scene, because even if you don't know what happened, it will rip your heart out, because it's beautiful, and it's amazing, and gorgeous, and yeah, that, that, that was the performance of the year for me. Like, he, he, he should win, he won't win, but I'm really glad he's getting some accolades for this, because he deserves it. Right. Best Actress. So we've got Sally Hawkins for The Shape of Water, Frances McDormand for Three Billboards, Margot Robbie for I, Tanya. Uh, Sorezi Ramon, Ronan, oh, Ronan, sorry, for Ronan, for Lady Bird, and Meryl Streep for The Post. So I'm torn on this category. Okay. Because, so Meryl Streep gets nominated every year because she's Meryl Streep. Right. She's a great actress. She's fantastic. She's probably the best actress of our age. Right. Uh, most times, though, she doesn't deserve it. Most mm -hmm. times, it's just like, you know, she's got a seat with her name on it, you know, blah, blah, blah. And she just gets in because she's Meryl Streep. The Post is a fantastic movie. It wasn't the best movie of the year, but it was the most important one because with everything going on with the administration and how they're demonizing the media, and especially investigative journalists, 
this is a film we needed now. And there's a scene in the movie where she has a choice to run a story or not, and it could make or break her, not just her career, but her livelihood and what she owns, the Washington Post. Mm -hmm. And everyone around her is arguing, saying, yes, do it, don't do it, this and that. And that scene, everything that goes across her face, you you can see with a look the internal struggle and monologue in her head. And without even a word, she gives one of the best performances of the year. Now, that being said, I do both think Frances McDormand will and should win Best Actress because I know you don't like the movie, but she gives no. her all. And she's, I actually agree with you on that. She's but... perfect in this movie. She's the best thing about that movie. Even if you didn't like the movie, you're going right. to love her. And right. she just... Again, like like we mentioned with like I, like I mentioned with Sam Rockwell, you don't notice it's her anymore. It's the character, and she just completely disappears and lets herself become this broken, dispirited, yet still fiercely revenge-filled and anger angst-filled, and just, oh, she's perfect. She is the reason to go see that movie. And as much as there are so much, so many other good things about it, she overshadows everyone. And she is just comes across as the, one of the strongest, not just, not, I won't even say female leads. She comes across as the, one of the strongest leads in a movie this year. Oh, I agree. I actually think of, you know, I, uh, I mean, this is often true, but that the best actress um, performances overshadow the best actor performances. And I think that is true of Sally Hawkins, Frances McDormand, and Meryl Streep, that each of them are are as good or better than all of their male counterparts. And um, I, I, I also have problems with, with Streep just because the version of Catherine Graham that they show in the movie is like so heavily fictionalized to give her this like story arc over the hour and 40 minutes of the movie or whatever that I just (laughs) right I I just I kind of couldn't swallow it because I'm like she goes from this wilting flower at the beginning who doesn't know and she's in over her head to I'm I'm making a strong decision I'm like nobody does that in the space of three days don't 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 make me pretend that but but her performance was incredibly good um but yeah McDormand will win should win but just shout out to Sally Hawkins for doing the most with the mm-hmm. least okay. like because she she doesn't utter a line in the movie she's she's just absolutely amazing uh, minor spoiler alert um, but out of nowhere there's a song and dance number in the middle of the movie and it's just like <laughs> yes yes there is this is it's it's so weird and so beautiful and it works so well and um, I don't know there's there's so many different layers to that performance and I and I really really loved it and I thought she really made that movie as and another person who I think, you know, could have been nominated for Best Supporting Actor, uh, who wasn't, was um, was Doug Jones playing the creature. Yeah. And, you know, because his performance was also incredibly layered. But again, that goes back to, we'll nominate Gary Oldman for wearing a fat suit in Darkest Hour. 
but we won't nominate Doug Jones for playing a creature, and we won't nominate Andy Serkis for doing mocap. And and that that is, I I mean, I've I've said this before a couple of times, um, and for several years now, the Oscars just need to create a category for a special performance and give that to an actor or actress and the team behind that. And I would be great if, if that for this year was Gary Oldman, Doug Jones, and Andy Serkis. And it was the three of them, you know, vying for this award. I think that would be great because it it isn't like you're doing just the acting. It's understanding that it is the team behind building that, that, that made it happen. And yes, there's a singular actor or actress in that role, but without the technical wizardry, it, it couldn't be pulled off. And yeah, and again, we can go back to, you know, people think, oh, well, it's makeup. Yes, it is makeup, and yeah. the makeup artists should be applauded for that. They, they've done an amazing job. And then we can go back and say, like, oh, well, we give an award for best visual effects. So that's how we're going to recognize Andy Circus, you know, the people behind that. But you're still you're missing out on the fact that this is still an actor who's bringing that thing to life. And it's not the same as. Oh, well, they were a voice – like it was like you know Chris Pratt's a voice actor in the Lego movie or something like that. Like yeah. that's just or, in a studio or, recording. Yeah, or doing visual effects like doing – like the visual effects behind The Last Jedi versus the motion capture that was necessary to bring Snoke and Maz Kanata to life. Yes, because um, they put – you know, if you haven't seen this done, the way they've kind of upped this and made it brought to the, you know, the, the century is that – they put the person in the suit and they put all these little green dots on their face and the camera captures their emotions and how they move and react <clears throat> via those green dots. So when you see Caesar and War of the Planet of the Apes snarling, it's Andy Circus snarling. They just put a layer over his face to make him look like an ape. Yeah. But it's his performance. He's doing that. And we, we can think what you want about the prequels, but we can go back to Phantom Menace with Jar Jar Binks. That was really our first character they did that with. And love him or hate him, and that's not for debate right now because we've already had that discussion. Right. George Lucas used this character of Jar Jar Binks to kind of invent this technology that has now progressed to what we have nowadays. So I'm not... I I disagree with you as far as having a, a, a special category because I really want to see the Academy and the people in charge of this industry recognize these performances from these actors as what it is. It is a lead actor. It is a supporting actor. It is acting. They're just using a different makeup brush. They're using a digital makeup brush instead of an analog one. So, right. Right. So now the big one, (laughs) and this is one that I, I'm so split on because my favorite movie of the year, which is Blade Runner, wasn't even considered. Right. There are movies here that I don't think should have even been given a, a second thought. But we got right. Call Me By Your Name, Darkest Hour, mm-hmm. Dunkirk, Get Out, Lady Bird, Phantom Thread, The Post, The Shape of Water, and Three Billboards. And I'm still split on what I think should win. I am, excuse me, will win. Uh, I know what I think should win, but Andy, let's let you go first while I'm deciding. 
I think I think should win and good chance will win is The Shape of Water. Uh, I mean, I again, I just think it is an incredibly beautifully and meticulously put together. Uh, I think it embodies everything that a best picture Oscar normally embodies. Um, that being said, I did like Get Out just a little bit more. And if that were to win, I think that would be huge uh, for any number of reasons. But um, but I'm saying would win, uh, should win, will win uh, are both Shape of Water with an asterisk for Get Out. And I'm going <clears throat> with will win as three billboards. Uh, I I would love to see Shape of Water win. I I liked it a lot. It was my, again my top ten. It was my top five. And I'll get there in a second. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think they're going to recognize Del Toro for his directing capabilities. Again, as the award he should have gotten a long time ago. But Three Billboards has the cast. It's got the script. Uh, it's it's kind of a trifecta of what they're looking for. That being said, right. uh, three of the films are in my top five. Uh, Calling By Your Name, Dunkirk, and Get Out. So Dunkirk was my second choice for Best Picture. Uh, year, mm-hmm. uh, I would love that to win. I think it's amazing. It's again, it's Chris Nolan taking everything he's learned and applying them over ninety minutes and delivering a better story than you get in like most epics. But Get Out is just such a game changer, and Jordan Peele showed that he can do he can masterfully balance such an intricate and in depth film and have so many layers and nuances that it's almost perfect. And Call Me By Your Name is just, it's a heartbreaking yet gorgeous film. And maybe one move to Italy. Italy. I, I would love to go backpacking through Europe and spend a week in the town they're in. Uh, it just, it gave me everything. And yes, while it is an independent film, I'm sorry, I, I gotta say, I, I gotta see myself on Damn it. Yeah. No. I gotta see myself on screen, and uh, I don't get that much. And most of the time when I do, it's in the in the past. It's been like, oh, well, you had AIDS or you were sad. I'm like, yes, this is a sad movie because these two characters come together, and you're told at the beginning you've got they've got six weeks. And yes, you see this really beautiful romance happen between yeah, it's two men, and maybe it's not what you're used to, but there's just something something you just don't get to see and um, yeah it doesn't end happy you know that going in but it doesn't end happy it doesn't end unhappy because one of them dies or this happens but this is in the 80s and this is what was kind of expected of men and there's there's like there's this um, there's a speech at the end of the film and uh, it's uh, Elio, Timothy Chalamet's character, it's his dad talking to him and kind of saying, like, yeah, look, we knew what was going on the whole time. And just the amount of love and support he gets from his dad saying, be who you are and, you know, nothing about you will ever change how we feel about you. Like, that's the kind of speech I wish every parent of a gay kid or a trans kid or a lesbian kid or a bi kid would give them because... We don't get that, and um, right. It was just a 
beautiful moment, and there's just so much going on with this film. And yeah, it's it's, it's not going to win. And honestly, I would still have to go with Dunkirk as a better film overall. But I'm sorry, guys, like and girls, representation does matter. And the same way that Moonlight it last does. year, which again wasn't my favorite movie, but we got to have a, a film that's an Oscar winner that's about a gay character and about a gay black a gay character, character. Color. yeah a, a person of color and we don't we don't. so when you go out there and you want to bitch about love simon you want to bitch about queer after the straight guy and black panther and all these other things about oh they're shoving this agenda down our throats just remember there's a lot of us who don't get that right we don't get to see ourselves on screen and i've i've seen countless arguments on facebook which i don't get into because i don't argue on facebook about, oh, like, well, I never felt like I had to see myself on the screen. I'm like, well, no, of course you didn't, dumbass. You see it all the time. Right. Um, so it's, it's it's a beautiful film. If you haven't seen it yet, please do. And I'm it's playing everywhere because they're trying to do the Oscar push. Dunkirk is better, and it would be my choice of what will win. Oh, what should win, sorry. But uh, Colin Larry and Get Out are right up there. So, right. anyways... Not for the emotional Adam hour. No, I want to. I want to say something that you know. I I feel like I hear this a lot from my Latino friends talking about Coco, from my black friends talking about Black Panther, uh, from my gay friends talking about Call Me by Your Name, and why these movies are so personally important to them. And everybody feels like they have to apologize for for liking this movie. And saying this means something important to me. White audiences don't apologize for liking Darkest Hour. They probably should. (laughs) (laughs) But nobody went around and said, well, I'm English. And so Darkest Hour means something to me because I felt like the heroism of my people or whatever. No, because white, straight, hetero or white, heterosexual, male is the standard and anything and we're programmed to think anything but that is an aberration or somehow special. And so I love seeing Black Panther. I love seeing Coco. Uh I will love seeing Call Me by Your Name. Uh tomorrow I am seeing a fantastic woman which is uh nominated under the best foreign language category from Chile, uh, a thriller about a trans woman uh and people shouldn't apologize for for liking seeing representations of themselves on screen because you have been denied that for the how many 80 90 some odd year of film history so far like as soon as soon as everybody gets to see themselves in movies all the time then you can apologize for having a bias you know uh, well, until yeah, then until then, love what you love. Love what you love and love what speaks to you. No, and, and like, you know, I, I don't apologize for... Right. For, for being happy to see myself, you know, in, in cinema, in comics and books, everything else. And with, with cinema especially, there's a great documentary, documentary called uh, The Celluloid Closet. And it's mm-hmm. about the history of LGBT characters, mainly gay characters, throughout film from the silent days of film. Mm-hmm. And... You know, back in like in the forties and fifties, especially when you had the whole, you know, the, the pinkos and this and that going on. Like, 
the gay characters in films were the sissies or the flamboyant or this and that, and they weren't mm -hmm. labeled as gay. They were just like the funny sidekick or the comic relief. Mm -hmm. And then as we got into the 70s with the boys in the band, we had a very, uh, which is based on a fantastic Broadway play, which is actually now going back to Broadway, which I'm really excited for. And I would love to go back to New York and see that. Mm -hmm. uh, it was tragic and we had sad things happening and we didn't let LGBT people enjoy their lives and they had to be very dramatic and this and that and even even with like probably the two most famous ones that we can think of is Philadelphia starring Tom Hanks about a gay right. character who's dying and then Brokeback Mountain which is about two you can call them gay by whatever you want to say sheep herders who fall in love and everything goes to shit mm -hmm. uh, you don't get happy endings and that's why I, as much as Call Me By Your Name didn't have a happy ending, they let the characters be who they were and find joy in that. And yeah, well, that's a pretty normal thing. I mean, Moulin Rouge is one of my favorite movies and beautiful love stories, and it is a tragic love story. Oh, very much, yeah. Yeah, but it's, but it's not because we feel like we have to... Um, you know, punish the character of Satine because she's, uh, you know, morally loose or or what have you. It's it's just it's accepted that that's that's fine. And from what I understand, and tell me if I'm wrong on this, but uh, call me by your name is very much that. It's just this is a beautiful relationship that just didn't work out for all the same reasons that a normal relationship wouldn't work out if you had had a 26 year old woman and a 17 year old man or vice versa it this would have been more or less the same story for many of the same reasons yeah, it's a lot of that and then also there's you know i'm not gonna go into spoilers because you haven't seen it and i'm sure most sure. of our people listening who i hope are still there hi uh there's an expectation put in place especially in the 80s when gay rights were still in their infancy, even though Stonewall started it, this is still in Europe. And mm -hmm. as much as they are more progressive than us in a lot of ways, there are ways they aren't. Uh, there are certain expectations that are put in place on men and women to right. live a certain lifestyle. And that's brought to light at the end. And that's why I'll just say there's a phone call that's made. And when it's over, that's when you see Elio... Uh, Timothy Chalamet looking into the fire while his parents are doing stuff while the credits roll. And that scene itself is he's dying inside and it's written on his face in right. so many ways is why he was nominated for Best Actor and why I would love to see him win. He won't. It's... We've all... It's so human. That's what's great. It's because we've all been in relationships that we wish could have worked. And like you said, didn't for some reason. It doesn't matter your sexuality, your gender. It just, sometimes things happen and it's right. As much as you want it to work out, it's not going to. And I don't, I, I gotta stop talking about this. Or I'll get emotional again. But anyways, right. that's our, that's our Oscar wrap up. Uh, hopefully we'll write, we are right in what we said would win. Uh, maybe not what we think should win, but whatever. Uh, we'll find out next Sunday. Uh, I know I'll be, hosting or going to an Oscars party. We'll see how it goes. And that's our week. Yeah. Uh, we went kind of long, but we had a lot to talk about. We haven't been here for a while, so we kind of wanted to spend extra time to 
with your listeners and obviously Andy, one of my best friends who I love to death. And uh, you too, Adam. <laughs> I have missed doing so much, and it's like it it's been tearing at my soul. It's like I miss my podcast. I know, host. and I. You complete me. <laughs> I you know, to quit you. Uh, so, you know. Again, if, you, if you're new listening, if you're just if you, if you stay the whole time, which I'm really thankful you did. You know, Andy lives in Texas. I'm in Utah. Uh, he's one of my best friends. He's my partner in crime. We've done some uh, panels together at Comic Con or now Fan Actually, I forget to call it. You know, fuck that. I don't care. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. But for those just listening, in, you know, we've known each other forever. We've been cohorts writing for different websites for a long time we've been film critics for a long time um he's one of my best friends he's up there like you know my top five uh and he's just a he's just a great guy and i'm really glad he is still sticking with me even though i've been really busy and haven't had a chance to do this as much as i would like to uh this is my passion this is what i love if i could do it full time and get paid for it i think we both would do it (laughs) right well except when you're out you know saving the world like like you do because you have I, I think I think I'd start saving the world halftime if I could be a full time film critic. Uh, the, you know, saving the world. I think if if I were making tons of money doing nerdy stuff, uh, they they'd be happy for me to just yeah. write them a check so that other people could save the world besides me, and uh, and then and then I could do this full time, and we could both be getting. Yeah, paid. I, would, I would love that. And, <laughs> and for those of you who are doing that, I'm I'm so excited for you. We have a couple friends uh, up here in Utah. Uh, who are do this as a full time job, and I'm I'm so incredibly happy for them that they can follow their passions and and make a living doing this. So, but anyways, that's me that's too. Us. Uh, again, yeah. if you're listening in new for the first time because we just popped up randomly in your feed. This is the Board of Hell podcast. Uh, next week, I have no screenings because the one night there's a screening. I'm at a show. Do you have anything coming up aside from the one you mentioned earlier? Yeah. No, uh, that's the only thing they're filming this week, and I think that's because they try because uh, they already showed us Red Sparrow, and uh, that's coming out this week. And I mean, I think that's pretty typical. They Hollywood kind of shuts down the weekend of the Oscars so to not compete with the big party. Uh, and, and also, you have South by Southwest um, going on too. So I, I have South by Southwest coming up in a couple weeks. We'll see what I get to do with that. It might be a few weeks before we get to come back together, um, but I'm hoping there there are some other big movies coming up that I definitely want to talk yeah. to you about. Uh, of course, we have Infinity War in May. We've got Solo we in May. Time. We have A Wrinkle in Time coming up in a couple weeks. Uh, I'm super- Ready Player One. We need to we need to get Brookheim back and talk about um, A Wrinkle in Time because that is her yes, favorite book, and she has many many misgivings about how the trailers look and i keep telling her ava duvernay is amazing let's trust in yes. her and let's and, and 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 let's see the movie before we judge it too harshly and so i think we'll we'll need to try and do some sort of wrinkle in time something with brooke and and maybe i'll have some sort of south by southwest wrap up or or something uh oh, me, yeah and what i'm actually kind of really excited for is uh again uh the studio behind love simon is really pushing this. They actually, they actually have scheduled three screenings for us. Like they want us to see it really badly. Wow. So uh, I will be seeing that not this week, but next week. Uh, I don't know when I can talk about it. I don't know when the embargo goes up, but uh, again, it's, it's something that they're excited about. And I'm excited because this is 
again, it's representation. It's seeing myself on screen, even though I'm not a cute teenage kid anymore. <laughs> uh, but you can enjoy cute teenage kids on, on screen. <laughs> as long as they're 18. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I, okay. I, I didn't, I didn't mean it in that creepy way. I know what you meant. I mean. And I think everyone knows what you meant. So okay. <laughs> anyways, uh, Thanks for sticking with us. It was a long episode. We had a lot to talk about. Uh, and until next time, hail Satan and have a lovely afternoon. I'm Mary Poppins, y'all. Wakanda forever. <laughs> yes. Yeah.